Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, advertising, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, welcome back. Thank you, David. And also back, frequent guest on the podcast, producer on the podcast, and senior editor on brand marketing for Adweek, Christina Monlos. How are you, Christina? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good, good. And uh, always a pleasure to have back on Patrick Coffey, Senior Editor on the Agency Beat uh, and uh, occasionally on the podcast. Welcome back, Patrick. Thanks, David. Been too long. Good to have you back. And uh, you'll have a lot to talk about today because you have done some fine investigative reporting recently that we are going to get into in just a moment. We're going to talk about the Golden Globe nominations that just came out as we were preparing to record this. Uh, And we've also got uh, some other fun news from uh, Cards Against Humanity, which seems to pop up every few months doing some of the most interesting stunts in the uh, marketing space. Uh, And then, man, we're going to have a big talk about the best ads and ad-like things of the year. Uh, Tim's going to walk us through all those, and we will debate and have fun. Should be good. But first, the news. All right. Uh, So Joe Alexander, the creative chief of the Martin Agency, known for all their excellent work for things like uh, clients like Geico, uh, and uh, definitely one of the more respected agencies in America. Uh, Joe Alexander has uh, been ousted from the agency over multiple allegations of sexual harassment. Uh, We first reported this. None of the details were out about exactly why uh, he had left. Uh, Patrick has since uh, gotten quite a bit of information. Uh, You've interviewed, I believe, more than 10 people at the agency about uh, his, you know, goings on over there. Uh, Why don't you walk us through the allegations against Joe Alexander, Patrick? The story that we ran, really, um, I talked to more than 10 people, um, most of whom had worked for the agency during the years between around 1990 and 2015. And most of them had been in senior or executive level roles and had worked either directly with Alexander or uh, he had been their their manager. And um, they went through into quite a bit of detail to me about um, the alleged incidents over time. Um, that- well, well, why don't you tell us kind of broadly? I know that... Um- you know, in general, what is the nature of the kinds of allegations against him? Right, right. Well, there have been multiple women who have accused him of harassing them directly, um, making improper sexual advances toward them, in addition to essentially making the workplace uncomfortable for them um, beyond his um, essentially inviting them to have sex with him. But also making comments of a sexual nature in their presence, um, comments that they took to be demeaning, in addition to comments based on the ethnicity and uh, religious affiliation and uh, just physical appearance of, of other coworkers. But there were several specific allegations regarding harassment. Um, there was one in particular in 2013 
that was uh, settled for an undisclosed sum when a female member of the agency's creative department, according to the individuals who spoke to me, accused Alexander of harassing her and later firing her from the agency after she repeatedly rejected his advances. And um, I was able to speak to the lawyer who represented her, who simply confirmed that that a, a settlement did indeed um, occur. And there was another, a few components of this settlement that were noteworthy, possibly most prominently the fact that one of its conditions um, forbade this woman from ever working for the larger interpublic group uh, again in the future. And this was particularly striking because um, about a couple of weeks after the Harvey Weinstein story first broke, IPG CEO Michael Roth issued an internal memo to all staff. It was essentially proclaiming that the larger holding group had no tolerance for any form of harassment and to say that that had always been their position and to sort of reiterate a couple of different resources that employees could use if they felt harassed in the workplace, um, one of which was a 1-800 number and there was also an anonymous um, uh, email address that, that staffers could use, I believe. But he, you know, it certainly looked at the time like like an attempt by IPG to sort of get ahead of this this rapidly trending story that was um, just sort of expanding and touching on industry after industry. Now, he has, to be clear, denied the allegations pretty categorically, right? Yes. Alexander's had told me he did not address any of the specifics, but he said all the allegations are false. He also continues to say that he resigned by his own choice, um, despite the fact that the statement from the Martin agency, um, both in response to my story and in the internal memo that they released um, later that day, claimed that um, their leadership was the ones who made the decision to force him out. I don't think we should gloss over what you mentioned earlier, which was the woman who was basically told she could not work at any other IPG agencies. That's insane. It's insane. Right. Like well, that, and, that's and the I, response. Well, <laughs> wasn't there also, didn't you talk to someone on the record who, I mean, well, they're all on the record, but you talked to someone who used her name, who said that uh, she had actually brought this to the attention of top-level leadership yes, uh, when that's he right. was promoted to creative chief. And then she was, uh, she was, I think she said, laid off shortly after. She was, and, yes. Yeah, the implication there being that just by trying to flag this early in his tenure as the top creative chief, uh, that, that uh, you know, the implication being that she was retaliated against. Right, right, that's true. And they, they, the statement from Martin that they released to all their staff uh, later that the day that our story went live, um, made clear that there was one particular woman whose complaint directly led to him getting fired. But I think as the all of my sources, including the woman that you that you just mentioned, made clear in our story, this was not the first time that such complaints had been raised against him. And in fact, they went back several years, um, well before the settlement in 2013. I think it's really important to note those things because we, you know, often all that we get is a statement from an agency where, the, you know, that's all they're going to say about something. And they are really trying to own their own narrative. But the thing is, like, when you um, allegedly have comments from employees coming for years, you didn't move quickly. You didn't do that. No, they didn't move yeah. quickly at all. And, you know, the other thing that's kind of crazy is, you know, they tried to sweep it under the rug even as they were firing him, right? They initially, or he initially was allowed to to sort of portray it as his decision. He and was. He, he had a lot of nice things to say about his time at the agency and so on. And it really, it took us getting these people on the record to have them change that story. I, I do need to say that a, a lot of credit belongs with the women and then the man who spoke to me about this um, exactly over, yeah. over the course over the course of the past week um, it was you know uh, especially the ones who let me use their names um, they were I would use the word brave and and speaking up in that way um, and there were a lot of others who spoke to me and gave me specific details and um, you know many more who I reached out to and and either did not respond to me or didn't want to get specific. But I think that um, 
that was really what shaped this story. And there, it, it would not have existed in, in the form that it did without that. I would also just want to say to like, to anyone listening who's, um, who has a story and who wants to speak up, but is scared of doing it, that if you're going to reach out to someone, Patrick is someone you should reach out to. He's really thoughtful in his reporting and he cares. I, I mean, I watched him report this story and I just want to commend him for his work and also just to encourage anyone, if you're going to talk to someone and you're looking for someone, Patrick is a really good person to talk to. Well, thank you. Thank you, Christina. I, I think it was would also be helpful to to put this in some context um, because you know over the last two months we've seen this this movement, the the Me Too movement, kind of touch upon industry after industry, from tech to media to entertainment to journalism and theater and and the restaurant industry today. Um, Mario Batali. Mario Batali, right? And and I think there was a lot of speculation among people that I, I speak to regularly um, as to not if but when it would hit the advertising industry. And um, it, it looks like now is that time. And the question moving forward is sort of where will the next shoe drop? I think it's you have to sort of look at what the industry values and then you can parse it. Um, why things are the way that they are. When you value an idea and a creative idea above all else, and you believe that this one person, be that a man who is, by all accounts, toxic for the rest of the work environment, um, when you believe that that person has the ideas that you need and you value that over anything else, then you're not really going to respond as you should to the claims um, uh, to, to, um, to reports that this person isn't great <laughs> to their other employees. I think that's what you're seeing across the board, across different industries, because, again, what we all value in this country is capitalism and, you know, a great creative idea. And, uh, you know, those things are important <laughs> if you love capitalism. Um, but, well. <laughs> but, uh, They're been uh there've been a pretty wide variety of responses to the story as well since it came out some of which are really telling i mean uh, people have reached out to me and said you know thank you for writing this or thank you for shining a light on this and then i've had a couple of people also reach out to me and say i was an executive in the agency world in the 80s and the 90s and it was crazy back then and the women were just as bad as the men and I, i've had a couple of different people actually um, tell me some variation on that. And that's, that's very, um, I, I read a lot into that. I think that it, it shows that the, the mindset that was supposedly left behind in a certain era is, is still around. And, it's absolutely um, still around. Despite the fact that a lot of people that I've spoken to recently about the state of the industry have said, you know, the, the, the bad guys for the most part are gone. I would question whether that's whether that's really true. I think it's really easy to believe that the bad or whatever bad guys are are gone when it's it's an environment where people realize what they're doing isn't necessarily something that they should broadcast in front of the entire office. And so it's moved to like these quiet corners where, you know, every once in a while when people are caught alone, something salacious is said or something uncomfortable or unnerving. And, you know, I think people are aware enough to know that they shouldn't be doing something, but they're not, they don't care enough not to do it altogether. Well, yeah, people make the point that like the restaurant industry, Advertising has long hours. You work in close proximity. You have these the projects that are very high stress, and inevitably, some sort of some sorts of relationships will will form. But it's it's goes well beyond that, and and it's about you know what's seen as acceptable and and what is seen as truly damaging the atmosphere for everybody who's working there beyond whoever it is who's been accused of something. 
I mean, I feel like there, there's two very different kinds of situations. One is, you know, we just found out about this, this just this thing, this one uh, accusation just came forward and we are acting quickly. That's one thing. Then there's another where you kind of get this impression like they have known, they have been told multiple times and you, and you get this vibe of like 15 strikes and you're out, <laughs> you know, and th- this I, I think that that to me are the more serious ones about culture is when it becomes clear, as in this story, that you've got 10, you know, almost a dozen people, uh, you know, saying that they have shared this with leadership, that this was not a secret. Uh, and, and in the memo that Martin put out, they said, uh, you know, we were trying to protect the anonymity of the woman who came forward. Right. You, you know, it's Such like to crap. make it sound like like to make it sound like it was one person um, and and not a pattern of behavior. Uh, but and when you know, your so behavior is egregious enough that you have to settle out of court, and, and the same year you're promoted to CCO, I mean, to, to Christina's point, it's such a structural, uh, yeah, something's so messed up structurally there. And you look mm-hmm. at how WPP responded to Aaron Johnson's lawsuit. I mean, there's there's a lot of resistance to to anybody coming forward uh, at all. And hopefully, you know, hopefully, what what stories like this one will do. Um, is to convince more people to come forward and, and to make it politically untenable for these agencies to keep these people in those roles. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly not new that employees feel that they can't speak up. They feel that they, you know, they need some sort of uh, platform. I mean, the, uh, everyone listening to this probably knows that I run a blog called Agency Spy, which was actually launched in 2008. I think it should be mentioned by a woman of color. And it was seen as essentially a place where people in the industry could discuss matters just like this. It was a where the the voiceless felt like they had a voice, um, and some of it inevitably turned to just blatant trolling and uh, you know grinding of axes. But it was kind of people have felt the desire for this for this sort of thing for, for some time, and they still do. Yeah, and that, that's a really good point, too. This is something Patrick and I talk about a lot it, it, off and on, you know, is that what used to be agency spy fodder is now news, uh, you know, because it's no longer people saying a creative director at an agency is doing bad things. Like now it is people coming forward and, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's we're moving these stories into the light, uh, which is is awesome. And Patrick, to Christina's point, deserves a lot of credit for his role in helping do that, uh, both in this story and in many other stories. Uh, so, yeah, drop him a note at patrick.coffee at adweek.com. Um, man, we could talk about this and there are so many issues here that we could certainly talk about for an hour. But uh, we got to make room for some other stuff. So uh, thank you to everybody. And uh, definitely give uh, Patrick's coverage of the Joe Alexander case a read on adweek.com. Uh, slightly less weighty, but still somewhat interesting. The Golden Globe nominations are out uh, for the year. And we were looking at uh, primarily some of the, the I, I guess, what I think of as TV, the the limited series and, uh, and some of these other categories. It's kind of interesting. Biggest, big Little Lies. Uh, it kind of came out the strongest. Uh, they got six limited series nominations altogether, uh, even though they're bringing it back for a season two. So kind of questions the <laughs> definition of what is a limited series versus just a series. Uh, but uh, six nominations for that one. HBO uh, really just kind of crushing it with 12 nominations. Netflix got nine. FX got eight. Uh, this Is Us and Will and Grace from NBC uh, got a total of five. And, uh, and then you've got a, a few others in the broadcast space with CW and Fox not getting... Uh, uh, any nominations. Uh, and notably absent, as Sammy Main, our, our digital media reporter, writes in her coverage today on Adweek, uh, we've got some longtime favorites, Veep and Transparent. We're not in there. And on the note of Transparent, you've also got no Jeffrey Tambor. You've got no Kevin Spacey. Both of them accused of uh, wrong, wrongful sexual harassment in the past. Uh, so uh, quite a few little nuggets in there. Uh, Christina, anything jump out at you in this year's nominations? Yeah. Um, so Amazon actually got a couple of noms. Um, Marvelous Miss Maisel. And then um, I Love Dick, Kevin Bacon's performance was nominated. Um, I think I think that's interesting. I don't know if Amazon, um, other than Transparent, has really done all that well before. Um, and then Smilf, a new um, sh- a Showtime show, which is wonderful. And Rosie O'Donnell is very good in it. Um, that also got nominated. And then, of course, uh, Issa Rae for Insecure. Very excited about that. Um, but then on the on the movie front, what jumps out 
to me, I don't know about you guys, is the fact that we've had a great year for female directors, and yet, and yet, they're not nominated. None of them are nominated. So I'm, I'm fired up about that a little bit. Also, Jordan Peele not being nominated. A little fired up about that one, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Tim, anything jump out of you? Mm, you know, I'm so far behind on my television watching. Um, I, I must admit to not having seen 98% of these series. <laughs> so, um, no, I'm afraid nothing jumps out at me. Um, just to cover the movies real quick, the best motion picture nominees are Dunkirk, The Post, The Shape of Water, which I hear is good, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which I hear is not good, and uh, and Call Me By Your Name. That's for drama. Yes, I'm sorry, best motion picture and drama. Um, and then uh, we've got, uh, man, there's just there's so many categories, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so those will, those will kind of be the big ones. Uh, I, I have seen a lot of buzz around The Shape of Water, so I'm curious to hear hear more about that one i haven't uh, seen the the um what is it fish woman love story that's the shape of water it's <laughs> yeah. like a fish man and a woman and a love story yeah, yeah. Is this um, like uh, but we do actually have what <laughs> is this like, like splash with the genders reversed oh man that rules um but we do we do actually have a video up with the director of i tanya um i think his name is craig gillespie gillespie i'm i'm saying it wrong but you can look it up he was he was a big ad director for a while and then uh i tanya is an interesting film uh that you guys might want to see We'll definitely uh, look for Sammy Main's article about the Golden Globe nominees this year. Uh, I'll just say, too, I'm just kind of curious uh, before we move on past Big Little Lies. That's one of those shows where everyone was talking about it. Everybody was talking about how great it was. I, I had a, a hard time getting into that one, I think, just because of the anxiety level of that show. Christina, what was your take? Did you try watching that one? Oh, I loved Big Little Lies. I, I think, um, you know, aside from Shailene Woodley being terrible, I will stand by that. Um, I think she's an awful actress. Which one and is I she? I don't want to watch her. She's the one who's like new in town that um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that Reese Witherspoon befriends. Um, she's from uh, she's from Divergent. Is that the one I'm thinking? She's about? from Divergent. She's also from Secret uh, Secret Li- Secret Life of the American Teenager, which is a show that my boyfriend loves, and I will never understand it. Um, but you know, uh, the Big Little Lies. What it does really well is. Um, it, it gives Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon space to really like go for They just go for it and they both do it really well. Um, I think the, the domestic abuse storyline that uh, Nicole Kidman's character um, that she, that Nicole Kidman portrays is, is really, really well done. Really interesting. Would watch again. Wondering what they'll do with uh, season two. I take it uh, Julia Garner did not get a nomination for Ozark. No, she did not. That's a drag. Love her, though. Well, this week we are going to skip our usual section of ads worth watching, uh, just because we've got a lot of other ads to talk about. It's time for our annual list of the ads of the year. Uh, Tim has uh, been compiling this, and I'm sure several of the rest of us have weighed in on some of that. But in the end, uh, it is his uh, call of what makes our top ten. And uh, yeah, Tim, how do you? Well, let's uh, let's move on to the big discussion of the week. All right. So, Tim, how do you want to do this? Uh, you want to walk it down from number 10? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, sp- I suppose we could kind of lay out the methodology first. Um, you know, it's it's kind of an absurd exercise to try to pick 10 ads out of the <laughs> thousands that we see every year to kind of pick as the 10 best. I mean, what's best? It's all kind of subjective in so many ways. Um, you know, broadly speaking, I guess we're looking for great ideas and, and great execution of those ideas. You know, it's kind of hard to have a great ad without both of those pieces. Um, we also, I think, try to collect a range of ideas. Um, you know, it w- would have been quite easy this year to kind of stack this list with a lot of ads about social issues, uh, purpose-based advertising. Um, you know, obviously it was like a pretty difficult year and there's just a lot going on in politics and, 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 you know, culture wars. Um, there's certainly a lot of ads on this list that, that reflect that, but we also wanted to include some, you know, that, that are a little bit more lighthearted and, and not have everything be super heavy. So, 
I don't know if you'd call these like the absolute definitive 10 best ads of the year, but um, they're kind of a mix that we feel like reflects the year pretty well. All right. So uh, hit us with number 10. So number 10 is one that um, was quite polarizing, but but I think uh, we're also allowed, by the way, to kind of include personal favorites on this list. And this was uh, <laughs> this is oftentimes where I throw, throw it is at number 10. So this is the Halo Top uh, Eat the Ice Cream commercial um, that Mike Diva uh, directed. You know, it's the post-apocalyptic kind of robots have killed most of the humans and uh, they're force-feeding this old woman um, some ice cream. And crazy commercial. Uh, I, I know not everybody loved it. Uh, David, I think when you were at Epica, it, it, it kind of went over like a lead balloon uh, with, with the jury. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Like when it came up, I could tell that most of the jury, this is an international jury of advertising journalists, uh, most of them from Europe and Eastern Europe. Uh, they, You could tell they had not seen it before. They're like, oh, what is, what, what is this? And then it starts. And I'm just looking around the room and uh, and just, man, just the people are just confused and not feeling it <laughs> apparently know? didn't tra- didn't translate for an inter- international audience but i thought it was very funny uh mike diva is this crazy guy that makes these all very weird uh youtube videos uh but he's like pretty you know when, when asked to do uh you know a brand commercial he he brings a lot to the table and i thought this was really well well shot well paced um the, the casting was great, and you know, uh, ice cream is not a, uh, a product that gets a lot of dystopic uh, spots. And so, um, you know, kudos to Halo Top CEO Justin Wolverton for sort of seeking out Mike Diva and asking him specifically for something kind of weird. Uh, it was a cinema spot, by the way, and it ran uh, in front of screenings of it, along with some other uh, horror movies. And I thought it was a, a, a really fun mix of kind of horror and humor. Let, let's listen to uh, a little bit of that one just to remind folks about some of the classic dialogue. What is this place? Eat the ice cream. I don't want any more. Eat the ice cream. How long have I been here? You're so hungry for delicious ice cream. Put that away from me. Where's Steven? Everyone you love is gone. There is only ice cream. I feel like everyone you love is gone has <laughs> become like one of my favorite pieces of copy from it, it uh, in modern history. So so. Actually, uh, Ted Royer from Jorgo5 emailed me this morning and, and, and specifically called out the Halo Top spot, which I don't think he'd ever seen before. And he was like, nice. great line. Um, yeah, so uh, number nine was uh, Nespresso, uh, the spot coming home from McCann, New York. This is this. Uh, we had two uh, pieces of work from McCann, New York, uh, who of course were our U.S. Agency of the Year this year. And this one, uh, it was a Nespresso spot with George Clooney, uh, who uh, Andy Garcia. He's chatting with Andy Garcia on the phone at the beginning of the ad, and Andy Garcia is in this beautiful paradise and george is on uh, uh he's on a film set and it's pouring with rain and he decides he's going to go join uh go join andy for a cup of coffee and so the, the whole spot is him in classic road trip scenes because he's traveling to andy garcia so each scene is a, is a different classic um movie uh and it's a, a road trip scene from the movie like you know everything from psycho to planes trains and automobiles and, and all these great movies uh where there are you know car scenes uh or even i think seabiscuit is one of them too so he's he's riding a horse in one of them and framestore did the effects on this and he, they sort of seamlessly inserted george clooney into every scene and uh the greatest thing about it is that is that george doesn't even have any lines like every every scene he carries just based on a look and uh, Christina, you and I talked about this. I think you you enjoyed this spot too when it came out. Facial acting, man, it's a thing. Like if you can if you can get a point across without saying a line, do it. And they do. They and do. It's great. And then he he does deliver the the voiceover. Uh, I believe the tagline at the end, which is kind of kind of great as well. So I like that one. So that was uh, that's our first uh, McCann New York entry uh, on this list. Um, number eight was, uh, Procter and Gamble's The Talk, uh, which was, you know, it was an ad by BBD, BBDO New York. 
And, you know, P&G has been doing some really interesting um, social cause advertising in the last couple of years. And, you know, this was really about um, America, you know, still clearly struggling with, with race and, and bias. And uh, it's a two-minute spot uh, in which uh, black parents uh, are shown throughout the years uh, having the talk with their children about, you know, the, the dif- difficulty and danger of growing up black in America. And it was so well done. You know, some of the scenes, the, the early scenes in the, in the spot are, are from the 50s, and it, mo- it kind of comes up to the present day. And it kind of embodies this idea that things are not, you know, the conversations are happening within the black community, but uh, not not outside of that about how, you know, bias, conscious or unconscious is really affecting, you know, our culture. And, and, and you know, I just thought this was one of those, you know, very, very topical, uh, beautifully made uh, commercials of the year. And, you know, BBDO obviously uh, has made some of the great uh, film film commercials over the last you know thirty years, and I think this one ranks right up there with some of their best stuff. Let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of that. Uh, this the talk from P and G. You are not pretty for a black girl. You are beautiful. Period. Okay. Don't ever forget that. Uh, you know, another one, this this one was at number seven. It was the Heinz campaign uh, that David Miami did uh, called Pass the Heinz. And uh, we wrote about this in the spring when it, when it came out. And uh, it, it was wonderful because it came out of uh, Mad Men, the show, the AMC show Mad Men. And it was uh, Don Draper uh, presenting, in, in, in fictionally speaking, it's 1968. And he's pitching uh, an idea uh, to the Heinz client uh, about... Uh, ads with with no ketchup at all. You know, it's a sort of proto uh, got milk strategy where you sell the product by through its absence, and uh, it's pretty funny. in the In the show, this was in season six. I think it aired in twenty thirteen. Uh, but fictionally speaking, as I said, we're in 1968, and Don's trying to convince the client to run ads that don't show the product, and the the client's completely confused, and you know they they completely reject his idea. Um, but David David Miami, which was you know they are Heinz's condiment agency at the moment. Um, they uh, you know obviously they had seen the the scene from the show, and they they ended up going back to the Heinz client, and they said, look, this is actually these are actually really good ads. Uh, they're really on brand, and I think it would be really fun if we kind of just recreated them exactly as they were, and uh, actually ran them. And, and Heinz was all for this, and so they did this, you know, defictionalization. Um, and I thought you know it was. These ads that were, you know, within the fictional universe of Mad Men, they were 50-year-old ads, um, but they felt super fresh and modern. And it was just one of those meta kind of things that I, I felt like they deserved to be on this list this year. I liked Peggy's idea better. She didn't. Uh, <laughs> they rejected her idea too, I think, right? They did. Yeah. yeah, they went with something from McCann in the show. But um, but her idea was, I think it was Heinz the only ketchup because back then there was still a debate between catsup and ketchup. Right. That's right. I remember that. Um, yeah. I mean, David had a really good year. They were our breakthrough agency of the year and, you know, stuff like this, you know, where it's very talk. It's like talkability is kind of the key. You know, we, in that story about David Miami this year, we, you know, we really talked about they, how they've, um, kind of adopted the old Crispin Porter Bogusky model of like, what's the press release headline here? Uh, (laughs) And they've kind of run with that and they don't have a ton of clients, but the clients that they do have, they sort of think that way and they call them David specials. And this was, um, this Mad Men idea was definitely a David special. And uh, I still love it. I mean, this is the kind of thinking that um, is just so fun. Uh, And to see those ads kind of up on billboards in Manhattan, um, you know, that that originally appeared on on a TV show, and then um, David, I think I think you remember. I remember you cracking up at the uh, the credits were uh, they, they they appeared. They looked as though they were typewritten, and we ran yeah. we ran a we ran sort of an image of them. Uh, credits, of course, is something we all hate, but um, this this was pretty amusing. And and to see Don Draper's name in the credits alongside you know <laughs> the David creatives. I don't know. It's silly, but like somehow kind of kind of magical in a, in a in a fun way. Well, and really speaks to the quality of the show. You know, the fact that they could create a campaign that could be defictionalized. Uh, it, you know, in a way that that 
I think almost any other show about advertising certainly could not. Uh, before we move on past that one, let's go back and revisit some of the audio of uh, the actual scene in Mad Men where this was pitched. It's clean, it's simple, and it's tantalizingly incomplete. What's missing? One thing. Pass the Heinz. You mean the Heinz ketchup? It's Heinz. It only means one thing. It feels like half an ad. The greatest thing you have working for you is not the photo you take or the picture you paint. It's the imagination of the consumer. They have no budget. They have no time limit. And if you can get into that space, your ad can run all day. All right, so yeah, good to see uh, Don Draper still still knocking out the year's best ad in, in 20, 2017. Totally. Uh, and uh, am I right in saying that David Miami also had back-to-back uh, entries here and the, the next entry on our list as well? That's right. Um, David Miami um, also created a ton of good advertising this year for Burger King. It's their sort of marquee client. And we could have chosen a few different campaigns for this. Uh, I, I decided to go with Bullying Junior, which was the anti-bullying spot that came out about a month ago, uh, maybe a little more, um, directed by Henry Alex Rubin, the smuggler director who a year ago did the Evan commercial for Sandy Hook Promise. Very well-known director, um, did a great job here. It's a, I think most of our listeners have probably seen this. Uh, it's a hidden camera experiment. Uh, it took place, they actually shot this way back in March, I believe. It didn't run until October because October was um, National Anti-Bullying Awareness Month. Uh, so a long time in the works and it took place in a California Burger King. They had a lot of hidden cameras and uh, they had some actors um, play high school students. One of the, the hook here being high school junior because they have the Whopper Junior, which they also uh, decide to bully. So a bunch of kids uh, apparently appear to be bullying uh, a friend or a kid uh, in their grade. And uh, there's a, a Burger King employee also played by an actor who's, who's uh, bullying the Whopper Junior sandwiches and sending them out um, to customers all beaten up and weird looking. And so um, during this experiment, the idea was to see who complained about the kid being bullied and who would complain about their sandwich being, uh, being you know, punched and, and messed up. And, and uh, you know, vastly more people complained about their sandwich and, the, you know, they were much more reluctant, uncomfortable to say anything about the bullying. And, you know, I mean, it was just really well done. Um, it was really on brand. You know, Burger King's whole brand is kind of have it your way. Like, they welcome everybody. Uh, the product was really central to the to the experiment. And, uh, you know, I think we did, we talked about this at the time. And, uh, you know, I think the, the, the folks who ended up standing up for the, for the kid who's being bullied really, um, you know, they, the things they had to say were really quite poignant and it, it kind of showed, I think, you know, David, you know, if they weren't actors, they got lucky with those folks and, you know, it really, the spot as a whole, I think really showed kind of the simple steps that, that people can take to stop bullying in the moment. Um, you know, there's that, uh, that video going around right now with the kid from, He's from Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, yeah. Who, you know, so you know, bullying is is just one of those. It's one of those topics that um, has really gotten a lot of attention this year, and I think partly it was because of this Burger King ad that it's getting so much attention. So, great job, great year for you know by David uh, Miami, and and this was one of their I think one of their better you know executions this year. All right, uh, and number five, I think we have our first uh, Droga Five appearance. First and only on this list, yeah, uh, Droga yeah. 5, um, you know, I was thinking about putting uh, the Atlantic commercial from Wyden and Kennedy uh, with Michael K. Williams called I Am Typecast, because I did want to get, you know. I, I love that one. I love that one, yeah, too. Yeah, that was a great one. I mean, I wanted to get a, a spot on here that um, was, was created by a, a journalistic outfit um, talking about, uh, you know, the, the difficulty of, of of, of reporting the news in, in the current political environment. Obviously, we have an administration who uh, is constantly trying to undermine uh, news organizations or particular news organizations. And so Droga5 did a campaign back in the spring uh, for the New York Times called The Truth is Hard. And it started out um, with an ad on the Oscars in February, but then in April, they got Darren Aronofsky to create a couple of ads 
kind of, you know, showing really the visceral danger of reporting, um, you know, stories in difficult parts of the world. And uh, they got the uh, two photojournalists, Tyler Hicks and Brian Denton, to kind of narrate um, a couple of different um, pretty hairy stories that they were reported on. And they uh, visually, they used uh, the camera rolls of these two guys. Uh, and so whatever photo appeared in the print and digital edition as the photo for, for the story, uh, that's how the spot ends. And then the camera roll uh, shows them, it shows the photos that they took you know, they're clicking the entire time and, um, you know, great sound design on these ads. And I really think it, um, you know, it kind of showed how, you know, how difficult these jobs are that these journalists are doing. And, uh, you know, in a year where, where, you know, journalists are being told that they're creating fake news, I think that this really showed the, the, the dedication to actually finding the truth that a lot of these, these folks uh, go to. Can I get a tiny burn in there, which is to say, Best work uh, Darren Aronofsky did this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. Yeah. yeah, you're probably right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, kudos to Droga5 as well. This is obviously um, not a huge account for them, but something that they could really kind of sink their teeth into creatively, and I thought they did a nice job on that cam- on that account this year. Now, the, the next one was hoping to break into our top two slots, but sadly didn't quite make it. That's a... <laughs> It's a terrible Good pun. A Nike, <laughs> Nike breaking two came in at number four. Oh my god! I, I, I just I, got that. I realized what you were doing, and then was like, "No, I can't laugh at this." And then you had to call it out, so I had to laugh. Well, we can call oh, it breaking man. five because they ended up at number four. Yeah. Um, so t- remind us about this. Was a this? I think Tim and I both agreed, and I think many many advertising journalists agree. This is one of the most ambitious marketing um, strategies concepts of the year. So remind us what they were trying to do. So uh, you know, Nike, um, similarly to what Red Bull did a few years ago with Stratus, um, they put together this campaign, and, and, and it actually of the top four um, campaigns on this list, two of them, including this one, are not probably not primarily marketing campaigns. Uh, this was more of, um, you know, uh, an, an initiative to sort of test the limits of human potential, kind of like what Stratus did. Uh, what Nike tried to do was um, create a, they created a new shoe and they recruited a, a handful of, of high-level uh, marathon runners and they tried to um, break the two-hour marathon barrier, which is sort of this, you know, mythic kind of fabled barrier in human athletics where... You know, it's it's never been done. I think the the official world record stands at about two hours, two and a half minutes, something like that. And so there's been debate um, for years as to you know how fast can a person actually run a marathon. Uh, this is a debate that's gone on not just in marathon running, but in you know the the hundred meter dash. Like presumably, no one's ever going to run the hundred meter dash in three seconds. So what is the limit? And how fast can a human actually run 100 meters? And similarly, how, how fast can a human run 26.2 miles? And so, you know, they really tried to optimize the product, the, the, the shoes that these guys were wearing. They tried to optimize the, the race, the, the training, uh, the race day conditions. And, and, and they had um, pacers, you know, s- set up to, where, you know, to keep these guys on pace, which is why um, it didn't end up counting as a world record, by the way. Um, but they got so close to two hours. Um, um, Kipchoge, the uh, Kenyan runner, uh, ended up running, I think, two hours and 25 seconds. So he missed it by 25 seconds. But, uh, you know, his time was, I think, still considered, um, you know, pretty incredible. I don't think, I think people who follow this uh, religiously uh, didn't think he would ever run anywhere close to two hours, 25 seconds even, uh, which was, a you know, it was a full two and a half minutes faster than than the world record. And, you know, Wyden and Kennedy worked on this. Uh, they named the project, so they came up with the Breaking 2 idea. They also um, kind of built the live event kind of on scene. They also worked with Mindshare to, along with a lot of the social platforms like Twitter and Facebook, to create this sort of live stream of the experience. And I think uh, almost 20 million people actually watched the live stream, which is pretty remarkable. Um and, you know, in general, it's one of those things that, you know, a brand is doing more than just trying to sell a product here. Uh, Nike, obviously no stranger to trying to inspire people. And, you know, when, when a brand looks at uh, something that people have yet to do and they try to, you know, they try to do that, uh, help 
uh, set a new world record or or just inspire runners to think about what's possible. Um, I thought this campaign was pretty amazing. Um, not quite number one or two amazing this year, but um, but very very cool campaign from from Wyden and Nike. Well, one thing I liked about it too is that it, it reiterates something that uh, is an old Wyden and Kennedy saying of fail harder. You know, and so I think a lot of marketers would have been nervous about something that could potentially fail or in pushing something out even after it's failed. But, you know, they're kind of like living living their beliefs on that one. Yeah, that's a good point. To, to, to briefly touch back on a piece that uh, Christina and I worked on a few weeks ago, this was sort of like a combination of um, – experiential and conceptual and just uh, not not traditional advertising in in any way yeah very much That's so. real. <laughs> i mean it's yeah uh, it, it does you know it is more product centric i would say than like stratus was i mean red, red bull stratus was uh, one of the most celebrated marketing campaigns ever but you think about it like what does red bull have to do with you, right you know like anything with human achievement i mean you know it helps you be extreme. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whereas Nike makes shoes that help you run fast. So yeah. in that yes. sense, it was uh, way more tied into the brand, I thought. This one made me aware that they were releasing a new shoe and also made me recall the classic 1984 film, Break Into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, um so that was a Wyden and Kennedy Portland work. Uh, up next, we've got another from Wyden and Kennedy, this time from their Amsterdam office, which is a good time to point out that they were our global agency of the year uh, this year, largely because of the work coming out of those two offices. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was happy to get two two uh, pieces of work from David, which was our breakthrough agency, two pieces of work from McCann, our U.S. agency of the year, and also two pieces of work from Wyden and Kennedy. Uh, our global agency um, of the year. This was the Amsterdam office uh, created the Stories Are Everywhere campaign for Instagram. And the uh, thing about, I loved about this campaign, it was it was really, really um, great volume of work, tons of out-of-home. Uh, they, they created a film festival where they had, you know, every, I don't know, all you guys have, have used the, the, the Instagram Stories app. I know I have. So many people have used it. And what, you know, the Widen creatives basically sat down and, and started using it themselves. And they created all this media um, out of the stories that they did. So they're trying to get, you know, the campaign is trying to get people to use Instagram Stories. And the campaign is almost entirely made from Instagram Stories. And I just love how colorful and playful it was and how fun the imagery was. And, you know, like I said, it was, you know, the media uh, was so varied and wonderful. And, you know, th this idea that, um, you know, of, of, of an agency like Wyden and Kennedy, who's, you know, who's advertising so often is really highly crafted for them to be able to kind of take a step back and say, let's be more spontaneous and immediate and let's just try to, you know, um, have it be a little bit more freewheeling and like lo-fi and homemade. I just love the way this campaign looked. I love the, you know, I love it conceptually and I love the way it was, it was put together in the end. And, uh, I just spoke to those guys this morning actually. And I think they have some new work coming out for Instagram maybe before Christmas. So, we might have some new Instagram work to check out uh, shortly as well. And I, I liked the visual motif of, you know, it would show this epic kind of visual of dolphins jumping through the, you know, the ocean or whatever, and then it would replace it with someone recreating that moment uh, through Instagram stores using a banana instead of a dolphin and whatever. <laughs> totally. And that was just the first time I watched one, I was like, all right. That's all right. And then I watched another one. I was like, oh, okay, I, I get it. And by the time you've watched four or five, you know, I absolutely loved it. It's one that wasn't the immediate, oh man, this is brilliant. Cause they're like, what, six seconds? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, these, it takes a while, but then it really does kind of sell you on the creative potential. And it, it helped break them apart from uh, Snapchat, which at the time people were just like, so it's a Snapchat clone. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. You know, and it really helped. And man, Instagram Stories has just taken off since then. Kind of gets to the uh, contradiction at the heart of social media, which is like, what you want people to think your life is like versus what your life is actually like. <laughs> yeah, good, <laughs> yeah. Good, good visual parallel there. Yeah. I just love the stories are everywhere idea. You know, this idea that um, you have a thing in your hand that can turn like an everyday moment into this sort of fun, creative thing. And I think everybody kind of feels that, that, that uses stories. You know, it's this little moment where you're taking your everyday experience and kind of twisting it into something that's like fun to show people. And uh, I think this campaign really captured the spirit of that, like, really, really well. Now, number two, I think, is our most interesting choice and probably the most um, 
you know, I'd say unpredicted or unpredictable. Uh, but man, what a, what an excellent choice. So tell us about number two. Yeah, so this is the one um, entry on the list that's not really an advertisement. You know, it wasn't created as an advertisement initially. Uh, it's the song 1-800-273-8255 by Logic, the rapper, um, featuring uh, Alessia Cara and Khalid. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's an anti, uh, suicide, it's, you know, it's a suicide prevention type song and, and Logic, uh, the rapper kind of came up with it and he just kind of wrote it. Um, cause this is a, this is a topic that's just really personal to him and he wanted to say something about. And so it wasn't, you know, spurred by any other, uh, group or, or brand or, or partner initially. Uh, but after he came up with it, you know, he decided to, um, to partner with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You know, that, that 800 number is uh, the NSPL's number. And so, you know, he basically got in touch with them before he released the song, and they sort of partnered on the launch together. And, you know, the NSPL, NSPL is a, it's a federal government um, initiative, and it doesn't have a big budget. So they weren't really able to do um, very much themselves to promote this song. Um, but they didn't need to. Like, the song lived in culture. It became, you know, it was a very, very popular song. I don't know exactly... Uh, where it peaked on the Billboard 100, but it was, I think it was pretty pretty well up there, and you know the whole song is is really about um, finding uh, you know hope. Uh, it's it's narrated from the point of view of someone calling the lifeline and confessing that they don't want to be alive, and the second verse is the person fielding the call, kind of offering words of hope, and then uh, the caller by the end kind of finds the strength to to fight for life and. I mean, it wasn't, you know, a typical commercial, but I mean, when you have a phone number of, of, of the Suicide Prevention Lifeline uh, as the title of a, of, a, of a pop song, I mean, it is an advertisement. It becomes an advertisement. It, it, you know, I think he wanted people to call this number and it became kind of a de facto promotion uh, for the Lifeline. And, and the results were amazing. I mean, the, the song was released on April 28th. Uh, that, that same day, it got uh, the second highest uh, call volume ever at the time. Um, and then he performed it uh, on August 27th at the MTV VMAs, and it got more than 5,000 calls that day. And the website um, is uh, was up by more than 100,000 visits. So you're talking about you know a, a piece of work that, yes, it's a, it's an artistic statement. It's a, it's primarily a piece of art. It's not a marketing. Uh, it's not primarily a piece of marketing, but it but it works as a piece of marketing. And uh, Google searches for the phone number are up. They were, they they're up by twenty five percent consistently now over their previous uh, average. And uh, you know it's saved an untold number of lives. And I think that's that's quite amazing. And we're counting it as an ad because we just thought it was such a a wonderful piece of work uh, that deserved it this year. I just The shit I'm talking about, they think they know it. I've been praying for somebody to say me no one's heroic in my life. Don't even matter, I know it, I know it, I know I'm hurting deep down, but can't show it. I never had a place to call my own. I never had a home. Ain't nobody calling my phone. Where you been? Where you at? What's on your mind? They say every life precious, but nobody care about mine. You know, I mean, I've, I, I've, I drive a lot, and I see this song come on, and. You know, every car nowadays will will show the name of the song that's playing on the radio. So, I mean, it's just it's it's spreading this word and spreading this number like so far, uh, you know. And I just I was amazed at the at just how simple that that was to do, but it had never been done. And and you know, I thought this was amazing, amazing work. If anyone's heard the song but they haven't seen the video, they should check it out because the acting in it is is really, really well done. I mean, talk about facial acting. Don Cheadle is in this. Yeah. He's yeah. very good. Ma- Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine, also very good. I don't, um, for, forgive me, dear listeners, but I don't remember the name of the main kid in it, but he is very good. Yeah, it is a powerful, I had, like, like you, I had, or like you're describing, I had, I had heard the song, uh, you know, it just come up whether on 
Pandora or whatever and had not watched the video. So I did before we wrote it up and it's like, whoa, this is, you know, it's about a young man uh, either realizing he's gay or just kind of uh, really coming into his own as a young gay man. And then his um, his father finds out and it's very powerful and I'm sure it really resonated with a lot of people um, and, and in hip hop culture to especially keep that uh, conversation uh, top of mind is, you know, and, and out there in the public is really amazing. And so, um, you know, it is a fantastic achievement. And uh, we'll, like, like Tim said, it's going to save a lot of lives. It already has. Uh, so that's a fantastic one. And then number one, Tim, I think either people saw it coming from 100 miles away or, you know, maybe it's been discussed so much that <laughs> it's faded into the background. But tell us about number one. Not the biggest surprise in the world, uh, but we chose Fearless Girl by State Street Global Advisors and their agency, McCann, New York, as the the best ad of 2017. We've spoken, what else can we say about this? And we've spoken about it so much. Um, it was just kind of towered over almost everything else this year. It won every major award you could think of, and I, I would say deservedly so. I mean, it, it had its ups and downs, the campaign did. Um you know, the charging bull artist hated it. It got a lot of negative attention um, after State Street's parent company uh, had to pay $5 million for allegedly underpaying women. Uh, so, you know, certainly it was not um, like uh, it wasn't crisis free at all, by any means. But uh, I thought, you know, it was almost unlike anything that we've seen. And I think it's it's iconic on a, on a level that... Uh, that advertising almost never gets to. So it broke through into culture in, in a huge way. Uh, conceptually, I thought it was just so strong. Executionally, you know, almost unparalleled as well. So hard to deny Fearless Girl. Um, although, Christina, I think you would probably deny it still. <laughs> I would deny it. <laughs> I would definitely deny it. Thrice she denies it. Um <laughs> You know, I, I think, as you're saying, you know, that, that tiny issue where they allegedly weren't paying women and minorities as, as much as their other, their uh, white male counterparts. Yeah, I think uh, when, uh, you know, there's, what can I say? They know. Well, Everyone you, listening knows. To your credit, you, um, you were an... OG critic of this thing, an you, OG you, hater. Yeah, you uh, you were you were raising that. a lot of the and those criticisms were still coming up many months later. Uh, I know Patrick, you interviewed uh, a woman who referred to it as infantilizing feminist bullshit, something like that. <laughs> yes, I mean they, even before these individual controversies, there was a lot of criticism. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone everyone loves a little girl standing up to the world. They hate. Hearing women complain about the issues that you face when you stand up to said world. Yeah. That's where we're at. And I mean, you know, it's its interesting to me. I may have said this on the podcast before, but the biggest complaint I hear in advertising circles is people say, no one knows who the client is. And that was like the first six months. And then the second six months, it was everyone hates it because of the client, you know. And so it's its one of those where the truth is probably somewhere between those. Um, but I think the thing that I, I keep coming back to is that there's a line of people still waiting to get their pictures taken oh, with yeah. this thing. You know, it is it remains something that transcends like like all ads hope to and maybe like to say they do but don't really, you know, it transcends its own commercial purposes uh, and becomes something else in the way that the charging bull kind of transcended for better or worse, like what the artist intended and became this different metaphor. Uh, but Fearless Girl is one where if we went there, you know, my daughter would could not wait uh, to get a, to get her picture with it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's got a message that resonates with a lot of people, but more importantly, maybe it sparks a lot of these conversations and debates in a year that we certainly needed to be having them. So, uh, yeah, well, congratulations to McCann, New York, uh, also our U.S. Agency of the Year and number one in our ads of the year. Tim, thank you so much for rounding up all that. I'm sure it's, it's, <laughs> you're, you're finally almost done with all of your big year-end stuff. I think you've only got 10 or 12 more lists to do before the end of the year, right? <laughs> then we just get into Super Bowl. It's fine. <laughs> right in the Super Bowl. We'll have Christmas off. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll have, <laughs> we have March. <laughs> March is relaxing. Uh, South by. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Why, I why personally you, just why can't wait for CES. <laughs> <laughs> it's You're more right. reading about it. I've never been. I just can't wait to read more and more about it. 
Well, uh, let us know your thoughts. Your, let us know your thoughts on the best ads of the year. What did we miss? Uh, what did you think of the ones we picked? We're at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. You can follow Tim at, he is at Nud, N-U-D-D, on Twitter. Complain to him directly if you didn't like anything. Please do. <laughs> All right. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was produced by Christina Monlos. Thank you, Christina. Please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new audiences discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we'll be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.